Hello, and it's another Victory Monday on Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. It's football and random things. What's up, Jeff Woody? Oh, that was Victory Monday. That's a. It didn't look like that for a fair portion of that game for this to actually be a Victory Monday. You know, as crazy as this might sound, even when they were down 21, 24, 10, or whatever it was, I never really felt like they were going to lose, to be completely honest. I, I did not think that Baylor team was very good. Well, no, but you can't – like the thing that I, was, that I was thinking of is I don't know what the probabilities are, um, and I at one point had to know these for – you know, that's just one of the things that like Herman would have you kind of understand probabilities. Um, but the probability of you winning a game and losing the turnover margin is very slim. Yeah. Like it's somewhere in like the 10 to 20% range where if you lose a turnover margin – 80 to 90% of the time, the other team wins. Uh, if you lose the turnover margin and the big play margin, so passes over 15 and runs over 10, if you lose the big play margin and the turnover margin, it's like 99.9%. So Iowa State won big plays but lost turnover margin, so it kind of washes out a little bit. But still, you can't turn the ball over four times and expect to win a game, even against a mediocre team like Baylor is. Do you know the last time before Saturday Iowa State won a game with their quarterback throwing three interceptions? Some absurdly long time ago, or is it Seneca Wallace? It was not Seneca Wallace. You were on the team. Oh. It happened twice in one season. It happened twice in the 2011 season, yes, against UConn and against Northern Iowa. That was uh, UConn. I remember that game because he threw three interceptions and four passes. Over <laughs> four with three interceptions. And I was like, good Lord, Steele. <laughs> and then turned, then proceeded to have like one of the best back three quarters of the game. And Darius Reynolds jumped over somebody, but, and Cy broke his arm. But <laughs> yeah, three, three interceptions and four in, in, uh, in four passes. That's true. I, I if, I, that. if I remember correctly, I think that the way that it went was you got, I think you opened the season against Northern Iowa one by one point mm-hmm. and then beat Iowa in the classic, the triple overtime, the triple overtime game where Steele became a hero. And then you went to UConn and he threw three interceptions again. <laughs> in four passes. Three in and four, four passes. passes. Was, that is a legitimate stat line of 0 for 4 with three interceptions. I remember that specifically being like, wow, we are really not doing that well. So there you go. Hey man, that, this was a historic, it was a historic game on Saturday between that and the first blocked punt since 2009. I mean, I, I don't know that you could get any more record, like any more, you know, tearing down statistic to statistical barriers. That was uh, Iowa state special teams had a nice redemption game after some of the things that have gone on this year. I mean, granted the kick return team has always been really good. I mean, Oklahoma and this Outside of the, the outliers, the two, I mean, the kick return touchdowns, but those well, are just, no, yeah. the kick return team. Uh, like, uh, oh, kick return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. The kick yeah. return team has been good all yeah. season with Kane and then Aishim Young back there leading for him. Um, yeah, the kick return team has been good all season. And what's been really nice, uh, and we, what we were talking about before we pressed record was, um, stop me if you've heard this before, that Mike Rose, Brees Hall, and Kane Wangu are good at football. And just – that no shit. So yeah. what the inter- the funny thing is, is like Kane hasn't housed one yet this year, but the two really big returns that he's had have been at really important moments in the season or in the, in, in that specific game 
because I think it was it was 24-10 or something like the 20 whatever it was 23 to 10 they were down by 11 21-10 so they were down by 11 or something like that but it was they were trailing and then that was right before the Kolar touchdown so it was that big return set up a touchdown for Iowa State at a time when they really needed to get something going and so Panay being a really good kick returner, not just because he's really fast, just because he understands angles and timing that like a kick return or special teams uh, is uh, you can't stop because there's there. It's not like an offensive play where like you are starting here and another person like a as an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman is starting four feet in front of you or even a, a linebacker and a tight end where are starting like four yards apart. You are starting dozens of yards apart from each other and there are dozens of yards sideways that you have to try and navigate that you're not going to you're not gonna be able to block block them you can't like you can just run them by you're not gonna be able to just you know punk somebody mm -hmm. so Kane understands that that's why he's so good is that he knows it's just about you're you're only trying to as a blocker on a kick return team you're only trying to just make just maintain enough leverage for just enough time that the kick returner is going to zip by you before that guy can actually get around you. So can I, I mean, shout out to that dude. I, I think the two guys that are underrated in that game that had a, a way bigger impact than the stat sheet's probably going to say are Kanae and then any of Wazirike. Like those are the two, I mean, Brees and Mike are the ones that are going to get the headlines, but Wazirike and Kanae were the two that I think had the most, the most impact with the kind of without the shiniest lights. Mike well, and Brees named the uh, Big 12 Offensive and Defensive Players of the Week this week. Uh, can, I just looked it up. Iowa State leads the Big 12 in kick returns, um, averaging 29.7 yards per return. And that's what I was trying to think. I mean, anytime that he returns it, he is almost guaranteed to get it to the 30 yard line, which that, you know, confirms it. And more often than not, he's going to get it further than that. I can't remember a time where he was stopped short of the 25. Well, even when he gets contacted at like the 21, he's, he, he is coming with enough of a head of steam and you can tell the dude has been in the weight room. Like he is a strong individual. Strong. So like he's strong, strong, strong with a cake. Uh, so you can tell that he's when he's he's got enough of the head of steam. He knows like don't slow down on a kick return. Is you are at an advantage when you are at full speed. When you stop the you give the advantage to the coverage team. So like even if he gets contact at the twenty one, he's going to pull someone to the twenty six. Like it's just he's going to get himself in a good position. He's smart when he knows when to return it. It's a good kick or it's outside of the leverage they want to establish for whatever return they're running and just lets it go. But then when they do get a kick that matches the return and the timing and the distance. He's off and running with it. So yeah, I think Kane and then and Any Wazarika, I think those two had really under the radar big games. Yeah, when you were talking, like when you were going through that, I was trying to think of other guys to bring up, and Any was one of them. I'm just gonna say, man, he punked that dude, that right tackle. And then he got oh, his yeah. big old paw on Charlie Bro, Brewer's shoulder pad him. right here and pulled him down. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, what? <laughs> What in the world was that? <laughs> that is a large human doing very impressive things. Good job, Annie. Yeah. Great job. And, like, he's not the guy that, like, on a passing down, I don't sit there, you know, I sit there and I watch nine and I watch three. 
And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, what's one of these guys going to do? And nine got called. Didn't he, they held him three times and didn't? None of them got called. Jaquan got held a couple times and didn't get called too. But yeah, it was just anyway. Continue. Yeah, whatever. But I don't ever watch for any. You know, like you just know that any's going to be where any needs to be. But mm-hmm. every once in a while, he will do something that you are just like, damn, what mm-hmm. the hell? Like. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did that on that play where he just pushed that guy clear back into uh, all up into Charlie Brewer's business. And then was somehow able to get his hand over the top of another human being and grab a human and pull him down with one arm. And I was like, okay. Okay. And then um, he did it on a run play too, where they tried to run a draw and he just punked a guy clear back into the uh, like, I know the guy kind of was retreating, but once he, they handed the ball off and it was like, they were going to start run blocking. Mm-hmm. He just threw the guy off to the side and threw the running back down. And I was like, man, this guy's, this mm-hmm. guy's a different breed, bro. Like uh, he just does those things every once in a while. And you'll do it once or twice a game. And uh, otherwise he's just so consistent in being where he needs to be all the rest of that time. Yeah. He's never his, he's one of those guys that like, you're never, you, you mentioned it, like you're not going to watch him do stuff, but when you do watch him do stuff, it's just, what was it? Uh, it was Tim Duncan is the big fundamental, right? Yeah. Like that was the, that was his nickname. That's like any Wazariki, like just the big fundamental. Like it's, it's not flashy. It's not, you're, you're not wowed by what the- most of the things that he does because his job is hold leverage or his job is split the guard and the tackle and try and absorb both blocks. Like that's his job. It's not fancy. It's not anything crazy, but then there's the other times when he does need to just cut it loose and go, you know, on certain pass rush downs or like that draw play, which I think was another third and long. And you're like, okay, you have a six foot six, 295 pound dude with like tree limbs for arms that once he gets extended, you're, you cannot, you control a block with your hips, but you move a person with your hands. And so like, if he can get his hands underneath the chest plate. So like, if he can get them on closer to like the person's sternum, if he can get his hands on your chest plate and get you up, like he's going to, when he tried to press out an offensive tackle and he gets their chest up, then he's screwing with both your hands and your hips. Because if he, if, if he's getting his hands under your chest, pushing you up you can't settle your hips down because he's he's holding you up in the air and then because his arms are so long you can't get your hands back on him so he can put you wherever he wants and so on both of those plays he just got his hands under the the tackle's chest plate just pushed him up and then walked him backwards it's like all right buddy it's sort of like being a you know like a, a bouncer at a you know, some, some little, some little pit squeaks trying to start a fight. And you're just like, all right, buddy out. And like, he just manages to go pick him up and move him. Even though it's not a little pit squeak in a bar, it's a 315 pound, six foot six offensive tackle that he's just moving around. I think, yeah. any is one of the, one of the, the most underrated players in the season. And so I, I did a, um, a thing on Sirius XM because Ari Timken and uh, Dave Archer actually listened to this podcast. So shout oh, out to them. Oh, they Yeah. Oh, nice. Shout out to them. Shout out to them. Um, but I did one, and, and they had mentioned, like, who's the most underrated person on the team or who, who's not getting enough attention? And he was the first person that came to mind, and he echoed it again on Saturday. Big, big plays in big moments. Yeah, I think another guy on that defensive line that hasn't gotten, and I asked Matt Campbell about this after the game, is Isaiah Lee. 
Um, for sure. Because I think, and Jay was tweeting about him a lot and, uh, and coach Campbell, I mean, I brought up his name and he said, man, thanks for bringing up Isaiah Lee. And I was like the first time that I'd ever been thanked for bringing, uh, (laughs) bringing up a player. But, uh, I mean, what that group has done between him, uh, Josh Bailey and Latrell Bankston, three guys who, you know, are relatively inexperienced when you look you know, at the rest of the guys on that, on that defensive line. I mean, they've been awesome. There's never been a point where I thought that that position was a problem. And, yeah. and I think it, at most of the time, it has been a massive strength. And what's interesting and not interesting, what's important about that, not interesting, very important, is this defense can only exist with solid interior defensive line play. If you have inferior defensive line play, the entire scheme of this defense falls apart because the point is if you're, I mean, if you look at, I don't know, the the story of the game in my mind uh, is, and Williams said this on his, uh, the instant reaction podcast. and, And I really enjoyed the way that he expressed it, which was the difference is the fact that Baylor couldn't run the ball and it was the, the squirrel, was squirrel Williams. Is that his last yeah, name? Squirrel Williams. Yeah. So, uh, Craig, <laughs> Craig. Uh, so when he went out, they lost their explosiveness. Um, and they also lost their consistency. So I hope that he's, you know, not severely injured, but it looked bad. Um, but, but regardless, I think they had like two yards of carry or something like that. And when you yeah. have a big lead, you can't, and you can't run the ball, you're inviting the other team to come back. And so what happened is the scheme of this defense and bringing back that defensive line point, the scheme of this defense played out exactly how it needed to, where the interior defensive line is going to try and hold their ground on rundowns on, on times when you know that you're not going to throw, they're going to hold their ground. And as soon as they, if it is a pass down, then you're going to try and advance, but you're going to hold your ground to start. And then the defensive ends on rundowns are going to try and get the tackles to keep their shoulders square and then pinch down into the guards. So essentially what you're doing is if you have a defensive lineman, that is just like a boulder that's not moving and you have two defensive ends that are pinching tackles into guards, you make it impossible for the guards or the tackles to get up on linebackers, which frees up Orion Vance, Mike Rose, Jake Hummel, or Greg Eisworth, whoever's playing in that position, you force a running backs to bounce and you let your athletic linebackers and safeties come up and tackle. You're forcing a clog in the middle, forcing the backers, the the back to bounce into your arguably your best players, which are your linebackers and your safeties. And almost every single time they tried to run the ball that happened. I think their only successful rushing yards in the second half, or even like the back half of the second quarter were like on Charlie Brewer scrambles or like a kind of a broken play. And if you're going to be a team that beats this Iowa state team, like soundly beats them. You're going to have to move people out of the, or out of the middle of the, like you have to move that interior. And that's Oklahoma with um, Creed Humphrey was able to move the interior defensive line. It's just because he's the best center in college football. Uh, but no one else has really been able to do that. Therefore, no one else has had consistent offensive success against Iowa state's defense, just because of guys like Lee and Bailey and Bankston that, just have done a really solid job. So as a position group, yeah, shout out to the interior defensive line, just because the scheme falls apart. If those three are bad. All right, let's move on to Mike Rose. Um, 11 tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, two quarterback hurries. And of course the game ceiling interception. Uh, 
I think he's third in the Big 12 in um, tackles per game. He leads the Big 12 in interceptions. He leads the Big 12 in solo tackles. I mean, that's a that's a first team All Big 12 linebacker if I've ever seen that's one. That's a potential. That's a potential All American of mm-hmm. some kind. I mean, you you lead the team, you lead the conference or near the top of the conference in tackles and interceptions. That is exactly what you want. But again just piggybacking right off the conversation we just had shout out to the defensive line because he's a, he's an outside linebacker, an outside linebacker leading the team in tackles for a scheme like this is really good because that means that the interior defensive lineman is causing that pile that forces them to walk or to, to run around, which puts them in a position with Mike Rose to make the tackle. And then on the other side, like the guys that are uh, making, the guys that are making tackles on the other side are your guys like Greg Eisworth and your guys like Jake Hummel and Orion Vance can pop around. But um, Mike is, and the, Mike is really good, like a really good linebacker. And the other thing that makes Mike really, it, it's such an impactful player is that last interception that he gave, that he got, I'm, I, there's two possible situations that happened, or they, I mean, they're not mutually exclusive. There are two potential things that happened. One of which I'm very sure of one of which I'm pretty sure of. So the first one is uh, they ran a similar route combination for both of Charlie Brewer's first passing touchdowns. So the, to the score to put them up seven to zero and the score to put them up 14 to zero at the beginning of the game, they ran some kind of, I don't know, you've called a glance or like a seven route, whatever you want, it's different terminology for it, but you're essentially going to take about five to seven steps up the field. And then you're not running a slant across the field you're more or less just bending it up towards almost towards the goalpost and letting the quarterback throw you inside to bend it farther so you're turning it not necessarily like uh you know like a an actual like an l you're not making a corner you're essentially like 10 30 on an analog clock like that's the kind of angle that you're going to so they ran that out of two different positions but they ran it to the boundary both times so mike usually plays to the field so boundary meaning if you're on the hash it's the short side like the the part where you don't have another hash in between you and the sideline so they ran it to the boundary both times mike knew that like he had talked to the other players so what had happened is when iowa state they're they're they they don't play man a ton they will play it but they won't play man a ton so they play zones and linebackers in the zones are essentially your job is drop until you have another threat and then you have to close on that threat. So if I'm standing here and, I, and there's a guy that's running at me and I see nothing, no one else, and it's just him running at me, I'm gonna keep dropping and I'm just gonna stay underneath him. Like, I'm gonna make sure that the quarterback can't access that throwing lane. If they run another person into where I should be, I have to trust that someone else is gonna pick up that guy and then I'm gonna come down on the other player. So in the first couple downs, or the first couple touchdowns, they ran that kind of glance route and the linebackers, couldn't drop because there was a running back that had gone to that side, which is a threat that they had to come down off of, which that gave Charlie Brewer just enough time to, to pin it on him in that last interception. It was a three by one to the field. So they called the same play out of a different formation. So they ran it now to Mike Rose's side. It was the first time that he had seen that route the entire game, but he paid so much attention to what happened earlier and talked with the linebacking coach and the defensive coordinators and secondary guys and Jake Hummel and whatever, and said, Hey, they ran this glance. Like they're going to get inside the 15 high or middle of the red zone. They're going to, they're going to run this glance. They really like it to their taller wide receivers. So they run this exact same route. So number one, 
Rose knows it's coming because he's paid attention. Like he's even on things that didn't directly happen to him. He knows so much of what's going on the field that he just listens and goes, okay, this is probably a thing they're going to want to do again. So if I feel, if I feel that there's someone coming over, I'm going to keep dropping underneath it because it's probably going to happen. So he drops underneath this glance route because he saw it happen before. Second thing that probably happened is what enabled him to do that is a screw up by Baylor's part somewhere. I don't know if it's a running back or a tight end or a wide receiver that ran too deep of a route, but in order for that glance to work, that, that seven route, you have to have someone underneath that is a threat that pulls a linebacker up to give space between the linebacker and the safety to drop the ball in. There was nobody there. So there, was, there were all routes into the end zone, which allowed Rose to be comfortable dropping and kind of gambling underneath that route because he knew where it was coming from and there was no risk because he just kept dropping and dropping and dropping because what, there's nothing to come underneath to. So I'm guessing a running back should have released to that side just some form or fashion, whether you run a uh, – it just literally just go anywhere on that side to pull a linebacker forward to give space to throw the ball to. So Mike paid attention, knew what was going on, took a calculated gamble in one of the critical moments of the game and managed to come up with an interception, another one, because he pays attention, he's intuitive, and he's a really, really smart player. And then you add the fact that he's 6'3 and can run and never slows down. Like you add all of those together, dude is a problem. Yeah, and he said after the game that Baylor had done some things that they weren't really expecting, um, which I think probably ties into – I don't know if I talked to you about this, but Dave Aranda, what he, when he talked about Iowa State's defense uh, during his press conference on Monday, I mean, he gave like a whole like schematic breakdown of everything. And I think that it was them like really trying hard to find a thing to manipulate, I mean, which is what you're always trying to do. But uh, – he said that we they did some things that we weren't expecting them to do that we hadn't seen before, but we just adjusted to it, and then, you know, we were fine. Uh, the other thing that was funny to me about that play, and it was hard to really notice it, like, in the moment, but once I watched it again, I was walking out of the stadium with Travis Hines and Randy Peterson uh, from the Des Moines Register, and they asked me if there had been pressure on that play, and I couldn't remember right off the top of my head, but once I watched it again, I mean, Charlie Brewer stood back there for – several seconds, basically just by himself. He, I don't think he ever once moved his eyes. Nope. Stood, he stared at the same guy the entire time. It works twice. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's the same route of a different formation. They were running. I bet they called it the same thing. Like, I don't know, make up some route, Florida, like that you just call it, you know, you call it a play and then you'd call Florida out of trips, which is three wide receivers, or you could call Florida out of, spread which is two two wide receivers on each side you just got the guys got to know that it's two by two versus three by one so i'm sure they ran florida or whatever whatever the play name is out of three different formations it's the same route concept they're doing the same thing over and over and over again and so he knew hey it worked the first time wide open it worked the second time wide open it's a critical moment i know that i really trust this guy because they're throwing it to number zero right mm -hmm. throwing, he was throwing it to so. seed kid I think Sneed. Yeah. RJ Sneed. I kick him. I kick him ball. I'm not going to lie. Ball. He's good. Yeah, he's, he's a good, good player. player. So yeah, yeah, it's the critical moment. If that's Alan Lazard, I don't, I don't care what route he's running. I'm going to throw it to him. So add the fact that it's your best receiver in the most critical moment with a route that's already worked. Where else are you going to look? Right. I mean, of course, Drew Brees isn't going to look at that. Like he's going to try and find the open receiver, but Charlie Brewer, he's a college kid. Of course, he's going to make certain mistakes, even though he played a pretty good game. 
you're going to, you're going to, that situation makes sense, which is what Mike Rose knew that. Like, I know that you want to go right here. So I'm going to put myself right here when you do. All right. Are there any other uh, things that you want to talk about with the defense before we uh, switch over to the offensive side? Anthony Johnson is really good. Anthony Johnson is really good. Tavon Kyle with a nice play uh, in the, uh, in the first half to really give them some momentum after uh, the early struggles. I uh, also text you in the, in, in the group chat. I, he's done better this year. He's done better. But when there's a big play on the second, in the secondary somewhere, I don't know what the percentage is, but I would say it's greater than a 60% chance that number two is on the field. Just when Daytron Young is on the field in some capacity, there's usually something bad that can happen. That doesn't mean it's always going to happen. And he's, gotten consistently better and the kid plays with a ton of effort but a lot of times they'll the routes will spin him around where like he'll get slightly out of position and with as good of the quarterbacks as as good as as, as good as the quarterbacks excuse me as good as the quarterbacks are in the big 12 a little bit of space equals a big problem and it, it's just funny because like it was the first like he's on the first drive it's after an interception granted the offense screwed the defense with three four special team screwed with once four turnovers that they had to try and rebound from, which you can't fault them for giving up points on quick change or on sudden change. It's really hard. But anyway, it was after the first interception, there's this huge play down the field and it's two number two side. Like I'm just, it's one of those things that was like, maybe not your fault, but like, why did everything bad always happen when you were on the field? Yeah. Well, I can't but remember exactly what happened on that play. I can't remember exactly what happened on that long play because if I remember right, the guy was on the far side because they ran it, you know, Baylor was going from right to left and they were on the opposite side. The receiver was on the opposite route. He ran like a drag and then cut it up. And I mean, I, I would have to watch it again from like a yeah, higher angle. You can't see, you can't see what happens in the back yeah. end unless you have but, game film. So, but the people again, chasing him were, were Mike Rose and Orion Vance. And well, I was like, two, okay, well that seems problematic. If you're playing corner and you're lined up and you're on the hash, that's not probably right. Yeah. Like if you're lined up at corner, which is where he was. And if you look back at it, he was, he turned around and chased him down. He was the one that pushed him out of bounds from the hash. So he probably, what my guess is he just carried something too far like meaning he followed a, a route and then they ran specifically that Tyreek Hill deep over and then ran to where he was going to vacate. Cause they knew if, if probably him or Tavon Kyle were both probably going to be susceptible to it. Johnson probably wouldn't, which is why they ran it to that side is they're going to run someone deep enough to carry the corner out of there. And then they're going to run someone deep underneath to run where he should be because they know that once you flip your hips and run with a wide receiver, you can't unflip your hips and break down to come back to that guy. So I'm guessing what happens, they just ran someone vertical out of their cover three, took the corner out of there and then ran someone underneath it, which again, not necessarily number two's fault. It's just every time something that happens, number two's kind of on the field. For sure. All right. Before we switch over to the offense, I want to give a shout out to Authentic Brand. Authentic Brand is more than just your source for official Cyclone gear. With an amazing team of designers, Authentic Brand can custom manufacture polo shirts, jackets, caps, bags, and beyond for your team or small business. Check them out online. Authentic-brand.com. Look authentic. Feel authentic. Be authentic. All right. Over to the offense. Um, Brock had a rough first half. Tough, tough look for our boy. I Ooh, think he went buddy. four for 10 passing in the first half, including three interceptions. 
If that was, if he has played a worse half at Iowa state, I would be hard pressed to find it. Maybe the Oklahoma state game last year. And that's a hard, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it just, the thing is, is like, it's, it's hard. Everything is in isolation, but it's also connected. Like you have to look at the play in and of itself that what happened there. And you kind of got to figure out like, okay, in this instance, what was the thought process or what was going on or why did this happen? But also what is it trending towards? Like, why did he make this decision or why did anyone make any decisions that they make? You kind of, you just got to watch film. Cause you can, you know, if someone short arms a, a catch and you look at it just in that one play, you're like, well, that seems like he's just kind of soft. But if like two plays earlier, you got his ribs broken on by a safety, like, okay, I can understand why he short armed that catch. So I think if we let's just backtrack and fill in context is in the beginning part of the game, Iowa state wanted to establish because we talked about it in the uh, Kansas game. We talked about it in the uh, Oklahoma state games that there wasn't a deep threat. They have, they did not even present the threat that they could throw the ball down the field. And what I think Iowa state wanted to do on a play action boot, because a play action step, number one, play action to number 28, that's going to draw some eyes or it should. So, you should, you, one would think that you can get a big play action and take that John Elway play action boot, huck it 90 yards down the field kind of play. Um, because they didn't do it against Oklahoma state. They tried it and worked on it against Kansas and they wanted to come out and establish the fact to back everyone out of the box so they could give Brees room to run for the rest of the game. Problem with that. Um, even if, so this is, I don't know if, I don't remember if we talked about this before or just earlier in the show, but if you were going to try and actually make that throw, like, which I think he threw it from like the, I don't know, it was the first play. So let's call it from the minus 20, minus 15. I don't remember the exact yard line. I don't think it was the first play. I think or they, first, it was on the first series because Brees yeah. had a 10 yard run, but yeah. it was on the first series. So he's throwing it from like the minus territory, somewhere in like the 30, 20, 30 yard line, let's call it. And then the play was caught on the other 20 yard line or so. So that's like 60 yards in the air still like that's a long, that's a big throw. You have to that commend the throw of 60 yards in the air. That's, that's a damn good throw. Problem is the time that it took for every, just assume if someone runs a 40 yard dash in four, cause it was uh, Joe skates. So let's say he runs a four, four 40, which is probably about right. So if he runs a four, four 40, that is four seconds for 40 yards, more or less. So every one second that you short or that you wait, it's another 10 yards. You have to throw the ball. He threw that ball about three seconds too late because he tried to make a move, tried to make another move, tried to make another move and then hucked down the field. So in order for that first pass to have worked, he would have to throw that Josh Allen distances of like 80 yards in the air on the money. Not going to happen. It's just, no one has that arm in college football including like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, like that ball isn't going to get completed. It's just not going to happen late and deep. Eat it. Like just take the ball and eat it. It's sort of like a, a similar thought process equivalent of whatever the hell that TCU play was, where it's just like, I'm trying to make something happen. Not your best choice. So that one was dumb. So let's just chalk that up to trying to make a play. Didn't work. The second one, which was, uh, I, I don't know if it's a miscommunication or just a terrible throw, but I'm guessing what he thought Chase was going to do, which was it was an interception that was tipped up by Chase Allen, caught, and then Kanae, DK Metcalf, the dude, and ran him down. And after hurtling over Brock. After hurtling over Brock. That is insane. Just, again, shout out to Kanae Nwongu. Um, But 
Brock, I'm guessing, had Chase running that little five-yard stop route and then expecting that he was going to float outwards. So just like turn around, sort of like you're boxing someone out in basketball, where like get your box out position and then give yourself a passing lane, like move enough space where you can actually give someone the, the visual. So I'm guessing what Brock thought is that Chase was going to float out. I don't know if he was supposed to or not, but I'm guessing that's the thought process. So one of them was wrong or both of them were wrong. That's another interception. So like dumb decision, trying to make a play miscommunication. And the third one, you'll give that credit. Like the first two are Iowa state's fault exclusively. The third one, you give Baylor a little bit of props for, which is a pick six, but they brought way more pressure than they, than they were probably expecting. And Iowa state didn't convert the route because for whatever reason, Baylor probably knew that if they showed the certain look receivers, don't check the route. You should check that into a hot position. Meaning like as soon as there's the ball snapped, give your quarter, give the quarterback your eyes. So you don't get hit in the face. So credit the third one to Baylor. The first two were just like, what is going, why? Why would you make that act? What mistake is happening that you're trying to do this? And then in the second half, he finally like just took a couple deep breaths, went inside, had a juice box, ate a banana, like just relax, just breathe a little bit. And he was what, nine for 12 or like 11 for 14 or something like that with three touchdowns. Yeah. Great. Much better. Give the ball to number 28. Let 88 do stuff. Throw it to number eight. Just do things that make easy, smooth sense. You don't have to do everything. Just relax, man. So, And, and, uh, and Chase Allen, and uh, throw him the ball too. And in, in continuing Chase Allen fashion, uh, he either caught a touchdown or he caught the ball and fell down. <laughs> yards after catch, zero. Zero yards after catch. So I've never seen anything like it. He's got 173 yards receiving this season. His longest catch is, of, is 28 yards. And I think that's the one catch when he caught it and ran with it against Oklahoma State. Uh-huh. Or uh, was We're not making fun of him. I want to reiterate what we're not making fun of him. It's just really funny that that's like the only way it goes. <laughs> He's the best blocking tight end. He's the best mover. You're going to run behind number 11. It's just funny that, yeah, you're going to throw it to him in the end zone or you're going to throw it to him at, at, past the first down sticks because he ain't running with anything. Right. Uh but yeah, I mean, I will give the, the kid for Baylor some credit on that long on the first interception because he caught the ball with one hand in a cast. Impressive. That was impressive. <laughs> which, which was like, man, okay, yeah, I'll give you some respect for that. But uh, man, I I just I feel like they got to be able to figure out a way to uh, don't have to. You know, obviously the offense has been good enough without it, but they just don't have a guy right now that it seems like like, why did he wait so long to throw it? Do you think, was he not open? I mean, I, I'd have to watch it again. So I'm guessing he was open, but what Baylor did a really good job of is they had almost like a, I don't know if it was a spy or they just had a backside linebacker. So that was a, I mean, that's the, that is the stretch boot. Like that is, I'm going to reach and sell hard run and hope that everybody is going to, suck that way. Just everyone's going to pull towards where the run is going to go. And when, then when I turn around, I have enough to get my, I don't know, you know, they can't probably count time it out by steps of like, all right, you're going to boot. And then you're going to go one, two, three, four, set up, hitch, get it down the field. Well, when he did boot back out, there was a, a linebacker didn't bite at all. And so he went straight to Brock. So Brock, in order to try and get himself down the field, because they told him, they probably told him, Hey, take this shot. If you got it. Well, he, in order to actually get him, get himself enough space to step down the field, he had to kind of come back in 
So in order to come back in, he had to throw the brakes on. And then when he moved back in, the linebacker redirected. So he then had to reset up and then kind of shimmy a little bit away. Couldn't fully step into the throw, but it was still, like I said, it was like two, three seconds too late from just having to stop and come back because that linebacker played over it. Where really, if that happens, it's throw it over the tight end's head into the first row of the stands. Like admit, hey, live to play another down. You know what? Or if you want to or do run with the ball or the two of by kind of like pump fake the, the Brock Purdy, the pump fake and run underneath it, try and get two yards. Like yeah. know when good is good enough and don't feel like you have to get like you have to get 70, but I'm pretty sure what they had, you know, thinking about, it, I'm pretty sure they said, Hey, if you got this shot, take it. And he was kind of already predetermined in his head. I'm going to throw this down the field and then just got off schedule and couldn't make up the extra you know, 20, 30 yards that he would need to have on the ball. Yeah, because I'm trying – I'm sitting here thinking about times when they've taken those shots down the field, and they've almost always been exclusively to Joe Skates. Mm-hmm. One of them ended in a reception against TCU, and I think the other two have been interceptions. And Yeah, it's, I just don't think they have – they've not had good timing and good, good consistency in getting, yeah. like, the secondary to bite in on the run, which is funny – is Brees Hall's run for 100 yards in every game this season. Every game, he's the only running back in college football with more than 1,000 yards rushing this season. Um, I mean, I don't know what more we can say about that kid. He's just – he's different, man. He, and he, the plays that he made to score his two rushing touchdowns where he makes – he made a guy's jockstrap fall off in the backfield uh, on the first one, and then – the other one where Brock Purdy was inexplicably lead blocking for him uh, after uh, after his cutback. I mean, the, the kid's just special, man. I, I don't know what more to say. Funny, because he knows it too. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He, he is. You look at him and you think like he, you know, he's he's not like this, you know, this Antonio Brown like outlandish character. He's not even like really Mister like hype and get up though. But I think my favorite because I never had the speed to get away with making this kind of trash talk, uh, nor did it really have the personality. I would now, now that I'm 30, like I would, I have enough years mm-hmm. under my belt and less of a give a damn. You were just but, too much of a hard worker, too much of a first guy, last guy, first guy in last guy out. Gritty. Yeah. Just too gritty. You, you didn't Surprise, need to just, just let just your game. Quick. Yeah. Just, quick. just let your game do the talking, you know? Uh, but I love, love it when he's done it three or four different times this year where he'll bust off like a 12 yard run and be like one shoelace away from getting down the field. He'll, he'll look get at the other. He'll look yeah. at the opposing sideline and yeah. find the head coach and go and just put his fingers yeah. one inch apart from each other and go almost. Yeah. Almost. He'll he look, did it like three stare. times. He'll stare at the opposing head coach and yep. go this close, this close, and then walk back. No one says anything because he's run for a hundred yards every game. Like what right. are you supposed to do? You can't be like, yeah, shut up kid. And then he runs for another two touchdowns. Well, and it's funny because he's like the most, I mean, he just seems like this, the chillest kid too, you know, he does not come off like being, he, that's not cocky. It's just like, he's confident, you know, yeah. and he's telling, and he's telling them, he's like, Hey, you, you just got me, man. Like you, I was this close to a 60. Yeah. Uh, and, and his like, as he's gotten more confidence on the field, his touchdown celebrations have become more elaborate uh, like he did the average scores first touchdown. He did the, he dialed the phone number on the ball and called God, like what Marcel Spears used to do. Uh-huh. Um, and then on the, uh, on his second one, he ran to the corner and then it looked like in the NFL, 
after they get a, uh, after they force a fumble or get an interception oh. and everybody runs to the end zone and they pose for the camera. Mm-hmm. That's what him and Brock and a bunch of other guys did right there in the corner, uh, on the South, the uh, South East side of the field. And then he, uh, blew kiss- kisses to the crowd on the other, when he caught his, uh, his receiving touchdown on the other end. And I was like, man, this kid is just on one now. He's like, oh yeah, I'm putting on a show for everybody out here. He's feeling it. And, and that's what's fun. What's really, really cool about this. And, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. And I'll always say it forever. Partly because I'm a running back, partly because it just is true is a running game travels. Like no matter who you're playing, who you're, when you're playing, how much better or worse you are as a team, how many better or worse athletes you have. If you can successfully run the ball, you're in the game. Doesn't matter. Like point blank period. If you can run the ball successfully, the rest of your offense works. I mean, even so I'm going to try and find the actual like statistics themselves. Cause granted ended up being okay ish, but Brock had was 15 for 24 had nine incompletions three interceptions only threw for 164 yards and Iowa state still hung 38 on him because the running game travels. Everything exists because Brees hall had 31 for 133, two touchdowns and one receiving. Like when you can run the ball effectively, it doesn't matter what the defense is going to do. They could put nine in the box and you are going to be in the game. Now, granted, you have to have a defense that's going to allow you to continue running the ball and not put you in game situations where, you know, you get down by 27 points in the third quarter, you got to start throwing it. You got to start chucking it around, which is not really where you want to be. But with Brees being as good as he is, and again, even shout out to Kane and Brock, like they're still, both of them are, all of them are still running the ball effectively. And Iowa State had 198 yards rushing. You're going to win. If you run the ball for 200 yards, again, you don't turn the ball over that many times, but you're going to do that. If you're going to score 38 points, run the ball for 200 yards and have more explosive plays than them, most of the time you're going to win. It's just try not to give the ball away four times. If you can run and you can stop the run, I mean, more often than not, you're going to win football games. But uh, I think the other thing, like, you know, as good as David and Hakeem were, it would have been hard to argue every single game that Iowa state was going to have the best player on the football field right now. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, Brees Hall is the best player on football field every, mm-hmm. every week, every team they play, there has not been a team they've played that had a better player than Brees Hall. Maybe, maybe Tylen Wallace, but he was mm-hmm. not better than Brees was on that day. Cause Anthony Johnson shut him down. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Brees Hall is best. He's the best football player I've seen this season. I don't know. And I, I mean, at this point, uh, I, I haven't seen anybody any better, at least with my, uh, with my own two eyes. I know how good um, some of the other guys in this league are, but the kid is uh, kids built different. Well, the thing is they're going to need it. I mean, and then when we, to close out this season, we have a bye week coming up next week. So, or this week. And so we won't, we're not necessarily going to preview too much. What's the, the focus this week? Um, keep everybody healthy and keep everybody virus free. Like mm-hmm. you, and I think this was, this was echoed by Mike Rose and Greg Eisworth and Brock Purdy on the, um, Eric Heft kind of interviews in the games. He's like, we just got to make sure we stay on our stuff, stay in the, like, keep our bubble protected. Like Trevor Lawrence was out for Clemson and they lose to Notre Dame. Not to say that they would have guaranteed one of them anyway, because Notre Dame is pretty good, but. And they're the freshman quarterback who replaced him through for 470 yards. But yeah. yeah. So again, not to say that they would have won regardless, but it's, it's, they all, they had to come back to beat Boston college 
and then they lose to Notre Dame when you have Trevor Lawrence not on the field. And that's just because COVID, like rules are rules. So that's one thing is just make sure you mind your P's and Q's. Don't leave your freaking apartment. Like just know what you got going forward. Um, so that's one. And then just make sure everybody stays healthy as, as far as like getting little bumps and bruises and nicks and stuff like that. Like make sure everybody's able to go. Um, and then I would start watching Kansas state. Like during this week, I would start watching Kansas state and even a little bit of Texas, just cause you, you have time this week. I want to see, especially if I am like, if I'm a guy like Eisworth or Rose or the Iowa state defense, I'm watching Texas about as much this week as I'm going to watch Kansas state, just because Texas's offense is that much more prolific, but Kansas state's team is just as good. Like, I'm not going to say that you Kansas state would Kansas state and Texas haven't played each other. Have they? I don't think so. Yeah. So I don't think they've played each other and they will, but I bet that's a close game. Like it's not to say that Texas and Kansas state are, you know, one's better than the other. Kansas state, all three phases of the ball, they're B plus phases. None of them are great. Uh, they're, especially it's probably an A, A plus, but Texas's offense is an A plus. Their defense is a B minus C plus. So as an, on average, they're about the same. But if I'm a defensive player for Iowa State, I'm going to at least take a peek at what Texas does, what they're doing, why they do what they do. So I can kind of take notes on what's going on. And then next week, focus all in on Kansas State, but at least have a jump start on Texas to know kind of what Sam Ellinger likes to do because these next two games are huge. Kansas State, Iowa Texas. State Kansas State and Texas play the week after Texas and Iowa State. Sorry, okay. I didn't mean to cut so you off. But the 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 two successive weeks after this bye week are are probably other than Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma State was big, but you can lose it and still make it make it work. The Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas State games are the three probably biggest games of this season, um, just because of what it entails. I mean, who you're playing, when you're playing them. Iowa State is going to be in first place in the Big Twelve Conference, or at least have a share of it, depending on what Oklahoma State does this week on November 24th. They're going to be in first place. And in order to hold that, you got to win at home against Kansas State. You have to go to Austin and beat Texas, and then come back and beat West Virginia at home. You don't have to. You don't necessarily have to win all three, but it makes it a lot better if you do. It locks you into that first position that puts you in the Big Twelve title game, no questions asked. Because I, I have a feeling this is going to be a really muddy. Whoever, I, I bet there's going to be a pretty clear cut, whether it's. Iowa State or Oklahoma State, a pretty clear-cut number one in the conference. It's going to be a dogfight for number two between Oklahoma and Texas and Iowa State and Kansas State and whoever else is in there. It's going to be a mud pile to try and get to the end of the season. Who gets that other championship spot? So Iowa State's in a really good position. They got to get healthy, stay healthy, and make sure that when you come into this next, coming out of this bye week, you're ready to go into a Kansas State team that is solid, like always always solid they're never going to lay an egg anytime after the first week of the season so be ready for it and i just think it it would feel so much better to win the regular season and then win the title game as well it's just like you know Iowa State's won the big 12 tournament in basketball a whole bunch of times but winning that regular season that's the one that you know everybody really wants that's the one that people really look at that's the one that kansas can roll out their trophies and say we've won it 14 times in a row you know like for the cyclones to do that would be nearly as impressive as winning it in one game in yeah. my mind. That's just my personal opinion Yeah, I, in this I league. I also just think it makes it less stressful. It makes the bowl picture. I don't know. What's the bowl situation this year? I mean, I think it's more or less as, as status quo at this point. 
So the, the bowl picture, and even if the bowls or whatever, we don't know what's actually going to happen there, but if let's say I would imagine the games that are really that paid a ton of money for the television rights or television rights paid a ton of money for them, like the sugar bowl, like the orange bowl, like the, the bowls that are, have one name, like that kind of really big ones. If you win the regular season and if Iowa state gets through and they have one conference loss and it's at Oklahoma state, and that early season loss to a team that's probably going to between them and the Chanticleers are going to win the Sun Belt. You have one, two, not bad losses. One of which is the beginning of the year. You're probably on track for your best case. You win the, the championship game. So you win the regular season, you win the championship game. You're on track to probably play you know, like a Notre Dame kind of, or whoever You'd be locked into the sugar bowl, sugar bowl against sec. Yeah. So like Georgia, you're playing Georgia in the sugar bowl. All right. I can deal with that. So cool. Then your worst case is you're the regular season winner. Your other options are then probably pretty damn good. Like whether it's Alamo or house, you know, whatever you're in a good situation. If you put yourself in this position that your worst case air quotes is a really prestigious bowl. That's going to provide you a big springboard against a good, a good opponent to jump into the next year. So I, yeah, take care, take care of business, make sure you get healthy, stay healthy and not worry about trying to do anything crazy this week is just get to Kansas state. Definitely. All right, man. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you again next week. You got the weekend off. We both got the weekend off. So, um, we'll, uh, we'll start diving into the wildcats next Monday. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. Talk to everybody again soon. Peace.